Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. I hope you got your copy of God's Word. Open it with me to the book of James. Book of James. If you're our guest or if you're watching online, we're just really getting started in the book of James. We're going to work through the book of James, every verse, and make our way through, through here over the next couple months. And as you find your place, just a reminder, uh, we do have a 180 weekend coming up for our students at the end of April. You can sign up online, um, but if you would allow us, if you go out on the table, there's a sheet that looks like this. It has different ways you can volunteer to help us on that day. We're going to partner, if, if you went to the wedding at Walnut Grove where the wedding was, it's uh, me and Chris partner together in all kinds of ways, and uh, this is one of those ways, 180 weekend for our students. So just to make you aware of that. So let's stand to our feet in honor of God's word. Looking at faith and wisdom this morning, in James 1, beginning at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of God. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we acknowledge our lack and we acknowledge what we have received simply because we have placed our faith in your son we remember this lord as we gather we will remember it at the end again when we take communion together but lord now if any time We should pray in unity. It is today that, Lord, we need the mind of Christ. We need your wisdom. We lack it. We need it. We pray for it. We expect it in the name of Jesus, in whose names we pray. Amen. So if you ask the question, what is God's greatest desire for you, what is that? You know this passage well. You don't have to turn to it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He goes on to say, he prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. And goodness and mercy chase us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever had this thought yesterday at the wedding and it was all I could do just to hold it inside but do you remember when when the doors were closed and I stood everybody up and we all turned around if you wasn't at the wedding you've been to one and you turn around the doors are closed and you're waiting for the bride and it was just that 30 seconds or something did you feel the anticipation that's the way believers live We live in this great reversal to where the groom comes for us, the bride. We're waiting for that door to open. And when that door opens, it'll never shut. That's why the marriage preaches the gospel. Listen to J.I. Packer. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, 
but the larger fact that which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. God desires, and this is what I want you to get this morning, to know him, to trust him, and to enjoy him. He desires that. James says that there is a barrier for us to experience that. I'm speaking to believers. James is speaking to believers. And what we lack is divine wisdom. There are multiple types of wisdom. We'll be talking about that when James brings wisdom back up at least one more time, if not more. He'll bring wisdom back up. We'll talk about that. But we're speaking of divine wisdom. If you ask any Jewish person or any follower of Christ about wisdom, they're going to tell you that the essence of that wisdom, or at least the first step, is the fear of God. Listen to Job 28 verse 28. He says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. What I want you to see is the relationship this morning between faith and wisdom. If you've got your notes, look at the main idea. Faith is a single-minded desire to seek what we need from God alone who loves to give generously to His children. Now, if you take notes and you've got an ink pen, write over what we need, wisdom. Let's put a finer point on that main idea. Faith is a single-minded desire to seek wisdom from God alone because He loves to give to His children. Our greatest need and our greatest barrier. Our greatest need... In times of trial is divine wisdom. Remember, we looked at this at the overview of James. James is writing to Jewish believers that have been scattered because of persecution. Not only that, in the context of when they're writing, there was a famine in the land. Being being in trials was their normal. Sort of like ours have been over the last couple years. Sort of like our brothers and sisters and friends in the Ukraine are going through now. The need in either situation is divine wisdom. Notice what he says. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, what that is saying is it is making an assumption on you and an assumption on me. And that is what? We lack it. We lack it. We need it. We are bombarded in our lives with trials and temptations. And James is going to get to temptation. Next week, we're going to see how the wealthy in this world oftentimes oppress the poor. That's another context point of James. Being oppressed by the wealthy. How do you deal with that? We as believers don't always know what to do. We don't always know how to persevere. We don't feel like we can take it. And if we don't even know what to do to take it. We've talked about last week that we need to consider trials joy. And can we just be honest this morning? 
it's hard sometimes for us to muster up the will to be joyful when God gives us a promise in the future, but I am suffering now. You with me? That's hard. It seems impossible. What do I need to be able to do that? What's the essential for me to endure trials and not only that, but to consider them joy? He said, you need wisdom. Jesus endured what he went through with divine wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, what is divine wisdom? And could just anyone receive it? Let's talk about what it's not. Uh, the people that James was writing to would, would know this automatically. We need to be reminded of it. That what he's not talking about is mere knowledge and intelligence. That's not the kind of wisdom that they are lacking. We make decisions in everyday life usually with three things. Knowledge, perspective, and experience. You bring that to bear. When you go to make a decision, those things are playing into it. Me and my son was trying to find something the other day and on his car, and we didn't know where it was. Looked and looked and looked and looked, couldn't find it. What did I do? I picked my phone up, right? Pulled up a YouTube clip, showed it to him, and he went out there and fixed it. We get the knowledge that we need. What's the problem with that? All of our knowledge, all of our perspectives, and all of our experience is limited. This is the truth. When we walk through trials, we don't really know what all is going on. Why is that? Because my knowledge is limited. I don't see my situation from every possible vantage point, do we? My perspective is, is, is limited. I am only able to use the experience that I've had or that you've had to make any decisions that I make. I have a limited experience. That's the problem. It's the problem when Christians make decisions like pagans. Like when we go to make a decisions, we make a pros and cons list. Don't tell me you ain't done that. We all do it. If you make a decision to do kingdom work with pros and cons lists, you'll never do it at all. There's always a cost to doing what Christ said. I said this to Gabe right before we walked out to get married. Every wonderful thing in your life has a weight to it. And if you are afraid of the weight of doing what God calls you to do, you'll never do it at all. We need wisdom. We need divine wisdom. So let me give you a couple of definitions think this will be helpful as, as we continue our study in James. Earthly wisdom, we call it human wisdom, is the natural ability to use my knowledge, my perspective, and my experience so that I might embrace prosperity and avoid suffering no matter the cost. Now, if we don't like prosperity and suffering, we could just replace it with this, it's the natural ability to use my knowledge, my perspective, and my experience to make choices that benefit either me or other people. And we'll get, not all, 
wisdom of different variants are bad. There's overlap. James is saying if we don't have divine wisdom, this earthly wisdom, though it is good and we use it every day, can actually lead us to all kinds of things. We need divine wisdom. What is divine wisdom? This is really the sermon in a, in a sentence. Divine wisdom is the supernatural gift of the Spirit that imparts God's divine knowledge, His divine perspective, and His divine experience to our hearts and minds so that we might know Him, trust Him, and enjoy Him in our everyday life no matter the circumstances of life. And by the way, this wisdom that James is telling us to ask for is only available to the redeemed. The only thing the world can possibly hope to gain is greater knowledge, greater experience, and different perspectives. But we can have the mind of God. How? Well, verse 5 tells us, let him ask. Let him ask. In other words, divine wisdom is not automatic. You have to ask for it. This is not as easy as we think when God gives us divine wisdom because there's no easy button in the Christian life. And so we're in the midst of a trial and we just want that trial to stop. God wants us to ask for wisdom, which means He wants us to understand His mind in the midst of the trial. He wants us to be able to begin to understand His perspective on what we're going through. And then He's going to come alongside of us, like Psalms 23 says, and walk with us through it. Four realities we got to understand as we ask for wisdom. God delights in giving good gifts to his children. It's one of the things I enjoy about weddings because weddings are expensive. They take planning. They take money. But have you ever just sit back and looked at the people who planned it, paid for it, and spent all this time and watched the joy and the delight of giving good gifts to their children. Matthew 7, you know this. Matthew 7, 7 says this. Sounds very similar to James. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks for him bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what he's saying. You need this, so ask me for it. He gives generously. God has no favorite children and He has no neglected children. Why is that? Because nobody gets in the family of God unless they're adopted. You're not a biological child of God. If you're a child of God, you got through adoption like everybody else did. That's what He says in Acts 15, by the way. When, when God began to save us Gentiles... Peter said, I, I observe that they got in the family of God just like we did. 
By grace through faith. There's no distinction. He gives generously to all. No favoritism. And listen, no fault finding. What does that mean? It means he gives without shaming. I like this even better. He gives without patronizing. And everybody knows here, if you know me, i got a soft spot for homeless folks. And there's a way that you can help people that is patronizing and that is shaming. And there's a way that you can help them that lifts them up and shows them that you love them and shows them that you care. God always gives in a way that is not only generous, but lifts them up and not steps on them. He gives not only these truths, he gives us a promise. Uh, There is two promises, and we need not miss either of them. The first one is in verse 5. If we ask, what will God do? Right? You see it? He'll give it to us. It will be given him. That's a promise. If we ask him with this authentic faith, He's going to give it to us. 1 John 5.14 helps us understand this. It helps us understand the need for divine wisdom. It says, 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You see that? The will of God? Praying in faith with the will of God takes the mind of God. To have the mind of God, we need the wisdom of God. Here's another promise. By the way, the context of this is prayer. We're going to get there. There's two people, and they're both asking for wisdom. One of them is promised to receive it. The other in verse 7 is promised that the God will reject your request. Sobering, isn't it? We'll get there. Both of them are promises. So we see we, our need is divine wisdom. The barrier now, the barrier to receiving is sinful doubt. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. There's a barrier. It is this that we're calling inauthentic faith. We talked at the, when we started this about radical faith. This is the opposite of a radical faith. It says, no doubting. Another definition for us this morning. Authentic faith then, is a unwavering, single-minded trust in God's person, character, and promises to do what He says He will do. That's what He's saying. For James, the power of prayer is asking God with no doubt. The worst way we can pray to God is to pray with doubt. Not all doubt is sinful. I don't have time to get into that. We, should, we would say we should doubt our doubt. And if you're going to doubt your doubt, then it means it takes doubt. You should doubt some of your desires, right? Does that desire come from God? I don't think so. I'm not sure, but it don't, don't seem like us. I'm like us about Stephen. 
We should douse some false teachers, amen? Should be Bereans, as the Bible said. Not all doubt is sinful. He's speaking of sinful doubt. So what is sinful doubt? All these definitions are going to come back in future messages. That sinful doubt is a defect in our character through weak faith that questions the character of God and the reliability of His promises. Let me say that again. It is a defect in our character through a weak faith that questions the character of God and the reliability of His promises. You can go back to the garden and see this, can't you? Did God really say? God's, God's holding out on you. He don't have the best in mind for you. And listen, this is not something that some of us struggle with. This is something that all of us struggle with. Sinful doubt is everyone's struggle. We all struggle with it in different areas and different degrees. And this is important to, to, to meditate on today. God is the source of faith and His promises are the subject of faith. God is the source of faith. His promises are the subject of faith. And so either one of those, either the source or the subject, either God Himself or His promises can be where doubt comes up in our life. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Faith is always a matter of our trust in God. To, to doubt His promises is really simply to doubt His character. And so sinful doubt reflects our understanding of God's character. It also reflects our character. It says in the end of verse 6, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Sinful doubt produces this inconsistent obedience. Obedience in one area, completely disobedient in another area. I am faithful today. I am not faithful tomorrow. I am up today. I am down tomorrow. One time I do good. Other time this same type of trial wrecks me completely. And if... This thing in my life, maybe I've been through it before, but I lose my joy, I lose my peace. It happens to all of us. It is what James taught us last week. Oftentimes, even our sinful doubt is God revealing something about us that He's going to work on. <laughs> That's why the trials come. But this is a barrier. It's a barrier to our prayer life in praying for what we need. And God says the ultimate thing you need is, is the mind of Christ, His wisdom, what it produces. Remember, this is root fruit. We talked about this earlier. The root, doubt, the fruit. Look at verse 7 and 8. Double-mindedness. A double-mindedness. Verse 7. For that person 
must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded means exactly what it says. It means you have two minds. You have inside yourself this hypocrisy, this, this I'm, I believe this, this sometimes and this the other times. I have two minds or I have two affections. This is strong, but it's true. God does not exist to give you a second opinion on your life. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I do this sometimes, you know, I've already decided what I'm going to say. I just want Mike to look at it and say, yeah, that looks good. God's not about that in our life. God's not into second opinions. He won't, be, he won't be relegated to rubber stamping things that we have already decided. Praying is not about bringing God to God something you've already decided to do and you just want to get his uh-huh. God's word is not about trying to find a loophole in obedience. Listen to what Elijah said. You remember this story. We had Ahab and a rotten guy and Jezebel, and we had all the people of Israel on a mount called Mount Carmel. You remember it? You had all the prophets of Baal up there. You had Elijah up there by himself, and you had all the people of Israel. What was the problem? What was going on? Israel was both worshiping God and worshiping Baal at the same time. First Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, Listen, I love this. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. If the Lord is God, follow him. If he's not then don't follow him. But whatever, don't pretend to be following him while your life is living in another direction. That is two-minded. Read the rest of that story to see how that came, how that turned out. The Lord, James is bringing this up. He's going to deal with this later. James is going to bring up how the Lord will deal with those who have at the same time a love for God and a love for the world going on inside of them at the same time. He said what that double-mindedness produces is what one guy says, a soul divided between a faith and the world. This is what we see today, even what COVID has brought to light. People who attend church from time to time, or maybe even regularly, But they're not going to allow God to interfere with their life. If they want to sleep with their girlfriend, they're going to sleep with their girlfriend. They go to church. God ought to be happy with that. Tell me how I should live my life. But I trust you, Lord, for my salvation. I put my trust in you because I don't want to go to hell. But I don't want you to be the Lord of my life. You see that? It's double-minded. What that produces, the fruit of that is not only double-mindedness, the fruit of that is an unstable person. They're unstable 
They're like that boat that he gives you the illustration. No matter what you see them, they're, they're up and they're down. They're up and they're down. Here, here's what the Bible teaches us when God reveals sin in your life. Amputate it. If I had gangrene on my hand, what I don't need to do is say, now, now listen, gangrene. Uh, need you to you go away because it's painful and, you know, it's not going to be good if you make it up here. So, no, what am I going to have to deal with that gangrene? Cut it off. Cut it off. Two reasons that we need to amputate our doubt this morning. It makes us spiritually unstable. The instability is the fruit of our life that we can visibly, objectively see. I am indecisive. I am fickle. I am unreliable. I am not necessarily willfully rebellious. I am just unwilling to commit. This really shows up in the church of God. It shows up in your family. It shows up in your marriage. It shows up in a lack of the willingness to be the parent that you need to be or the husband or the wife that you need to be. It makes us unstable. It is this doubt that is the root and the fruit of this that spiritually speaking, we are an unstable person that people cannot always depend on. There's a worse reason to amputate doubt. Verse 7 Doubt leads to rejected prayers. For that person, who is that person? That person who is praying for something with doubt. He must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. <laughs> Suffering promise. Now listen, this is, this is right out of the mind of James in his, in, in his book. Prayer Without faith is like faith without works. It's useless. Prayer without faith is like you saying you have faith but not doing anything. That's why we're taking up an offering at the end for the Ukraine. Because how dare we pray for them and put their pictures on our Facebook page and do nothing to help them. What good is that? James says, it's useless. He says, such it is. To pray. It's doubt in our heart that God is going to do what we ask Him to do. Doubt is a bigger problem in our life, brothers and sisters, than we realize that that's why James is bringing it up. We pray that God can do things, but we seldom pray for Him to do things. Prayers offered in doubt receive back. Requests denied due to insufficient faith. Let me show you just a couple of places. Matthew 9. Matthew 9. This is all through the life of Christ. I would challenge you to open up the Gospels and look up the places where Jesus heals the sick, raises the dead, Matthew 9, verse 20. Save your place here, by the way. We're going to come back to Matthew 9 in just a minute. Matthew 9, verse 20. You remember the story. And behold, a woman who had suffered from the discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Verse 21. 
And she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Did you see that? Your faith has made you well. Jesus' life has been characterized by this. To tap into the treasury of the Almighty, we come to Him in prayer. And we need the mind of God to understand the will of God so that we pray, we pray in faith and, and cast out doubt. That opens up the treasury of God. So what today? Always try to end where we begin. Do you desire what God desires? To know Him, to trust Him, to enjoy Him? Or listen, do you desire a God who only desires what you already desire? You see the difference? <laughs> do you desire what God desires? Or do I desire a God who desires only what I already desire? I'm just trying to find a God who agrees with me. If you want that kind of God, just turn on the TV and watch some of these televangelists. They'll give him you one. And they'll call his name Jesus, but he's not the one we read in the Bible. Oh, they'll give you one that'll give you your best life now and send you straight to hell. We need the mind of Christ first so that we desire what he desires. You see the difference? That's our life. Listen, as I change the passage on your notes, but this is a good one. 1 Corinthians 2.16. You know when you just keep getting the verse in your head, it just won't go away. Yeah, you're supposed to use that one. <laughs> Lord knows we're a little dense sometimes, and so he just, you know, he taps us on the head like a dripping faucet till we listen to him. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has instructed the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's good, isn't it? God's not going to call you on the phone tomorrow to ask you what he ought to do. But we best call him and ask him what we must do. And what kind of God would you serve if that wasn't the case? The secret of being wise is, is to not seek wisdom as an end in itself. But seek, him, seek wisdom in order to know Christ. To trust Him and to enjoy Him. Do we understand this morning the danger of doubt and the power of authentic faith? Matthew 9. You've got Matthew 9. Just flip back there. Verse 27. This is Jesus' normal everyday life. And as Jesus passed... On from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, Son of God, Son of David. Verse 28. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and said to Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you.
I was reading that this week, I said to myself, Stephen, look back on your prayer life last week and say, if God answered those prayers according to my faith, what would change? You with me? Think about your prayer life last week. I'm not trying to shame you. I had to deal with this myself. What would change that you prayed for last week? Or is it the truth that most of my prayers was either self-serving or was prayed sort of like that? Well, Lord, if you, if you can, if you... If, if we need wisdom and over here we know this was true because we could have we had some physical problems going on before the wedding right it could have changed everything and here's what we didn't need on, re on rehearsal night is a group of people sitting around not knowing whether God wanted to heal somebody or not what we needed is a group of people just kneel down, cast ourselves on the Lord because He is the only one that can change the situation. And that, brothers and sisters, is when God works. This is why you can go across the ocean to people who don't even know how to read but have braced the God that they know is true. And they trust Him with everything. And they enjoy them in their life, no matter their situation. And when you go over there, you ask them to pray. And when they'll pray, they will receive. Because they trust him completely. Mike always does this in Honduras, by the way. We go to Honduras. We've done Lost Medias. This guy. He always does this at the end of the service. He asks those brothers to pray for us. Because when they pray, they pray it down, brothers and sisters. And they do it because they pray with no doubting. We have an easel out there. And we want to update our worship space. But it's expensive. It would cost us increased expenses to upkeep. What if God answered our prayers that we all prayed for that? What if he pray, answered them right now? I ask you, what would change? It's not this where God has placed us. Did God not, did not, God not send Paul into the center of every city to plant churches? And did he not plant us here? For such a time as this. Will we not pray with this kind of faith that God might give us His mind and advance His kingdom in King's Mountain because this is where He has placed us. Again, J.I. Packer, I love him by the way. Knowing God, if you don't have read that book, you need to. First, we must recognize how much we lack knowledge of God. This is good. We must learn to measure ourselves, not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and our responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. So we close with the Word of God. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let's pray. And so, God, we have heard your word. 
we have in faith, Lord, received your promise. That we, as these limited, finite people, can gain the mind of Christ. That we can have an eternal perspective on this thing that is in each one of our minds, though they are all different. God, we would understand that you desire for us to know you, to trust you, and to enjoy you. As I watched last night, a family who enjoyed each other So, God, you will desire for us to enjoy you. And so, God, may we receive your wisdom. May you strengthen our faith deep into the roots of our lives and our very souls. May you amputate through the power of your spirit. Fear and doubt and insecurity and replace it with the fear of God courage wisdom and so God now we come to this time that we respond and we have multiple ways we're going to respond we stand and lift our voices we are going to come to the tables on either side of us remembering Christ crucified risen ascending to the Father coming in power and glory Lord we long for those doors to open but now Lord we choose to worship in spirit and in truth, through our offerings, through our communion, receive our worship. Grant to your children now your grace. Grace upon grace as we sing to you our King and our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.